Okay, we head into the Old Testament. We're on this series where we are in the Ten Commandments. These are some of the very most important parts of the Bible and ones that almost everybody knows. We know the importance of how God, with his finger, wrote in tablets of stone these incredible commands for people, his people, to understand. And we've been walking through them slowly, and I just want to say we're doing two of them today. Now, before you get too excited that I'm speeding up, that's only four words. <laughs> and two of them are the word, two word, two of those words are the word no. <laughs> so really, it's just two words we're covering today, but they are very amazing and important things to understand. And, and I call you to them. I, I think it's, it's, this is such a central and critical part of Christianity. You know, how, not, not the words themselves, not the Ten Commandments, how you see them impacts just about everything about you. What do you think these words are doing? What are they about? What do they mean for you? Becomes something that is very important. And, and the thesis I put out before you, we've looked at now five of these. This is number six and number seven. Here we are, and we're looking at them. And, and here's the phrase. Catchphrases get you in trouble, but here's the phrase. Get in your heart. God's commands are not his enablements. God's commands are his impossibilities. That's the Ten Commandments. You actually want to do them. We ought to do them. They are good, but they are not his enablements. We don't. The evaluations and examinations are meant to drive you to the cross, right? And where we find mercy and forgiveness, not to ourselves where we find improvement, if you start chewing on that, if you get that in your heart, if you actually get the message of the Bible, your life starts to actually change. You see things differently. So often the Ten Commandments, oh, we've thought about it as, as people think, hey, a ladder I'm going to climb to make sure I'm, I stay on the right side of God, like to say, sure, I stay in God's favor. And we've said in, instead they're that crushing chamber that we get smashed to bits and there's no escape. There's not an escape hatch. So this is, we insist, I, I, I do, and I just, I naturally go there of thinking that I'm working on being strong and wise and good. And when I do, real Christianity really starts to lose its meaning, which is that God uses weak and lowly and broken people. And actually, that is you. That's the only kind of person there is. He said, I don't really believe it, though. And so these words are there. These words drive us in because I want to deserve the love of God. I want to. Like I want my dad to say, hey, good job, kid. And, and that's not bad, except the commands we're covering reveal there's no deserving. We're humbled. We end up not thinking of ourselves as better than anyone else. We, we, we come together and sing songs because the songs are about the wonder of the mercy and grace of God because it's true. He adores us. And you see what fights against that, right? You see what fights against it is the concept of us actually having a righteousness of our own. And not that we'd ever say it, man, I'm, I'm not a perfect person. But, but we start to think, no, I, I am on the pathway and doing good things, and here I am. I've got a little righteousness of my own. I have standing in myself when we've got nothing. If there's no measuring, if there's no bookkeeping, 
if there's no merit, if there's no righteousness of our own, then, then we're beggars. I don't like that. So perhaps the easiest way to demonstrate how radical this is for us is how different our message is about trusting Jesus and what he's done is to actually look at the command. So here we are. If you've got your Bible, want to look, you won't have to look very long. It's very short. Exodus chapter 20, we're looking at, at two verses. And I want to start with things we never do. We just don't do these things. And here they are. You shall not murder. That's number six. Number seven. You shall not commit adultery. Okay, those are pretty clear. There's not a lot of wiggle in them. That's actually said, it's actually said it's only four words. Those are nine words. Yeah, but there's, that's English, right? And then and the Hebrew is just not murder, not adultery. Okay, then. Maybe God wanted to save letters when he was writing on the words of stone. There's not a lot of landscape there. But really what happens is I start to sign relief. Finally. It's actually been walking us through these commands that are so hard. Like, never have anything else before God. Like, don't even ever have an idol in your heart. Like, honor God all the time. Finally one that I can absolutely say with no reservation, I have not done. I have not murdered anyone. I had somebody this week say, Dax, you're using this... this uh, this sort of series to kind of do a lot of confessing of your own sins. I wonder what Danny's going to think about the next week. Adultery's coming. But, but I feel comfortable, right? I finally feel a little comfortable saying, I don't commit adultery. Well, I don't do that either, but I, I really think I don't murder. Because the word there we've come to understand, and I think rightly so, it doesn't mean kill in general. It doesn't mean that you can't go to war. It doesn't mean that you can't fight and, and, and kill. It means you intentionally go out with anger and, and an intention to take somebody out because you don't like them. Murder. Slaying. Yeah. You shall not murder. God's uh, not talking about wartime we know because he directed Israel to fight. He's commanding something we already know is wrong. I know it because right back at the beginning, there's a, the, this Adam and Eve's kids. There's Cain and Abel, and Cain gets angry at Abel, and he goes and he murders him. And I've never met anybody who thinks that was okay. Murder's not okay. Murder's wrong. I don't have to tell you that. I don't have to, man, uh, somehow, oh, wow, the light bulb goes on. I never knew. I've been murdering people all these days. Okay, I've had Jeffrey Dahmer. <laughs> no, we know it's wrong. It is wrong. And, 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 and then the next step is, I haven't done it. I think it's right to have punishment for murder. We may disagree over the type of punishment, so we argue over whether it should be capital punishment or not. But no one's arguing over whether murder is okay. Taking someone's life is a crime, and thankfully, I have not done this. I hope you have not either. With a command like this, I finally, I finally have ground to make some judgments. Right? I mean, that, that's a little bit what this whole thing has been about. 
This is the type of command that our society runs on, that civil law runs on. There's, there's, there's most of us are good. We're not doing this. And there's a few people who do it, and then rightly punishment falls on them over there because they're doing this thing that we all agree is bad. Are you with me? I'm okay. But, but, but those people over there that do this, they justly, they should, something should happen to them. The large group is good. The small group is punished. We don't do these things. If you do, shame on you. Pay the price. Not only that, you know, if you do those things and, and I don't do them, I am more righteous than you. I mean, if you're the murderer. I am not murdering. It doesn't really matter, you know, if I'm driving home and boy, this does happen to me. I don't know if it happens to you. It's a silly example, but I'll tell you, there's somebody that cuts in front of me as I'm driving and the light is just going to turn yellow and I'm going to make the light. And then someone decides they're going to get over into my lane, the right lane and turn right. Oh, you fool. There are so many stupid drivers out there. None of them is me, of course. And I say it, I'll say, oh, what a stupid driver. I'll even, I'll show you my misogyny. I'll say, oh, maybe it's a woman driver. And that's wrong, that's wrong, that's not right. But I say those things, right? I say those things, and I, it, it doesn't matter. They turn right, I keep going, I didn't harm them. No harm, no, but if I got my gun out, stupid driver, <laughs> Now I've done irreparable harm, either to their car or to them, and I will be stopped, and if I have murdered them, that would be a heinous crime. There's a line that you cross, and that line is between what? It's between intent and behavior. It's between desire and action. And, and, and that's where we draw the line. That's where we rightly draw the line in society. I, I, can't, I, I can't judge your heart. I can judge what you do. Have you murdered means did I take a life right so this idea I I mean that's actionable it doesn't really matter don't get me wrong it's not good right but if I'm cold and distant to my spouse but if I go out and have a romantic liaison with someone else and break my marriage contract well that's really actionable are you looking at a divorce Look at what you've done. Right? So our system is off and running. I get the system. Society functions this way. It's always functioned this way. These lines. And finally, I feel like we're on some firm ground because God's law matches society's standards. Indeed, right? God's law has this civil aspect, and it's good. It is good for you not to murder. It is good for you not to commit adultery. These are good things that for you to avoid, and the flip side, good things for you to do, is to treasure life and to keep your marriage contract. I'm sorry to say it so coldly, but you know. So you say, okay, that, that's good. I mean, society functions by the law. It's right that this happens. And so, honestly, under, under this system that we're, we're like engaging in, we even have sort of a system to kind of restore people as best we can. I mean, these things cause harm, and we try and manage the harm. But if someone will, like, kind of go the course, even someone who commits a heinous act of murder, 
You can't get it back that you did that. But you can show over time that you're changing, that your heart is softening. You can show that you're very um, remorseful and and you can do your best to do restitution for whoever you've harmed and pay them back for the terrible loss that you've caused them or whatever you've done. And you can try and make it right. And, and that kind of fits in our system too, right? You may not ever get back to where you were because perhaps another person has died. Perhaps the marriage contract's been broken. And but, but your life isn't over. You're tainted, though, until you kind of prove yourself over time. And then we'll slowly kind of, kind of get you back in. Be rehabilitated. I'm so glad that I haven't murdered anybody. I'm so glad that I haven't committed adultery. I'm so thankful that I'm in good standing. That I'm I'm righteous. That I have something before God. Thank you, God, for not making me like the guys that murder. Does that sound like anybody to you? Sounds like good news for me. I maybe do some bad things, but at least I haven't killed someone. I used to do that when I was a kid. At least I haven't killed someone. <laughs> Makes me feel better. I may be guilty of lying or cheating, but I'm no adulterer. I'm innocent. Thanks, God. That's uh, the words of the Pharisees in Luke 18, right? We're not going to go there. I just want to say these are things we just don't do. This is a system where you say we don't do these things. And, and, and if you can make that line about behavior and the laws about behavior, you're fine to be there and society will function fine. It does as best it can in a civil way and it's not a bad thing except, except there's a problem, right? I haven't really told you the problem yet, but you know it's coming if you know the New Testament. If you know who Jesus Christ is, you know there's a big problem. What's the problem? Here's the problem. This is the problem. These are things we do all the time. Not me. No, don't call me an adulterer, Dax. No, I'm going to do it one, one worse because I think it's worse. I'm going to call you a murderer. And I'm going to get in the mirror. I'm going to call myself one too. Why? Why? What's going on? You think, well, not so fast, right? Like you're both a murderer and an adulterer. Really? You think that I am? Really? No, 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 I'm not, right? And... and I, it's not me. Don't get mad at me. I don't want to do it. I get to be Nathan today. Not that Nathan. The Bible Nathan. Because I'm telling you, I'm telling you, you're a murderer. You're an adulterer. What? Not me. Right? No, I'm not saying it. Jesus is. That's the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, look at it with me. We'll, we'll take them one at a time. Matthew 5 is a Sermon on the Mount. You remember how Jesus gets up? He's talking about the law. He's telling us what the law means. He gets up, and Jesus, from Hebrews 1, is the perfect representation of God. He's the exact representation of who God is, and he's telling us better than any Old Testament words what exactly God is after. And remember how he says that in chapter 5, verse 18? He says, you need to be perfect like your Heavenly Father's perfect. I'm after perfection, he says. And then he goes through some of the Ten Commandments. He goes through the ones we're looking at today. And it sobers us, at least it should. Here's verse 21 of chapter 5 in Matthew. You have heard it that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder. Whoever murders will be liable to judgment. 
Yeah, I've heard that. Where did I hear that? Oh, it's the Ten Commandments. I haven't just heard it. I know it viscerally. I know this to be true. You shall not murder. And then Jesus says on. He says, but I say to you. Let, let, let me. <laughs> but I say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says to you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. What are you talking about, Jesus? Right? Jesus shows that keeping this command, you shall not murder, extends to what is going on inside of us. Right? That's what he's doing. He's not just behavior, not just external actions, but internal thoughts inside, feelings, motives. What? You do know this is really radical. As a doctor, this is rat. Like, like as a counselor, I, I, I was taught, this is how things work, you guys. You say, it's okay whatever you think inside. You can process inside. You know, tell your stories, talk it through. So, but when you take the step of saying something, when you take the step of doing something, that's when it matters. So the whole idea of therapy sort of talking through and with your story, trying to do it right, man, it's okay to say, that person's a jerk. <laughs> Hi, so nice to meet you. Right? That you have to show that's what's important. They never know. And Jesus says, no. No, 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 no. It's, and, and, and look at what he's saying. If you're angry, and, and I know there's such a thing as righteous anger, so he's not talking about that, right? But almost all of our human anger has these threads of frustration. I'm frustrated that the person's not doing what you are killing them. You are murdering them. And then, and then you think, well, that's, I get it. You know, frustration is a hard thing, and uh, we all struggle with it some, but, 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 but I'm, I, I go, oh, man, that, oh, that's, that hurts, but I'll work on it. And then he goes even further. Any insults that you do on, in your head, like inadvertent insults, that's the person who pulled in front of me, and I'm going, they're such a stupid, I didn't actually say out loud, they're such a stupid driver. These are judgments. I make judgments all the time. So do you. I look at someone, I say, man, they're really drinking up a storm tonight. Man, what are they doing over there? How are they acting that way? And I never say that to them. But the reality of do I think it? Of course I do. Right? Any kind of insult, spoken or unspoken, an unspoken insult, even unintentional insult, could be included in what Jesus just says on the, on the Sermon on the Mount. What does it do? It, it, it's exposing us. Why? Because Jesus is God. What does he see? You! He doesn't care about what you do only. He's looking at your heart. That's Jeremiah 17, right? The Lord looks at the heart. So he's looking at your heart. You can trick me. But every thought, every intention, every desire, every single thing, all the time, that is judged. Right? We all do it. It's Henry Nouwen, I don't know him. He's, he's, a, he's Catholic, but he has a way with words. And he, he says this. He says, nobody is shot with a bullet who's not first shot with a word. 
and nobody's shot with a word who's not first shot with a thought. Killing is not just a brute external act, dear people. It is, at its most common form, an internal work of the heart. We do it all the time. Right? You murder with critiquing and insulting. He's so critical. She's so insecure. She's so fake. He's so proud. She's a fool. I may not say any of those things, but they go through my thinking and my heart. And God, God, because Jesus is God, he's the one that says, this is murder. I mean, the state has nothing to say about that. Nobody does, except, except God does. Well, he shouldn't. Right? It's unreasonable. Is it? He made you. He doesn't get to decide what he thinks right life looks like. And this is what right life looks like, is that you would never have those thoughts. You would never have an insult for someone. You would never have anger for someone. You would never have frustration because God's in charge of it all, and he's got you, and he's got them every single moment of every single day. Why are you murdering? We don't get over this. I don't think we get over this. You don't agree you're wrong since you like the society way of saying, well, if it was a behavior I could control and I could learn not to do it. But it's not somehow that, that over time I stop doing this. At least if it's done, I'm, I'm, I'm a, it's confessional time again. I'm a terrible, I've been a Christian for 50 years. Well, not quite, I'm not that old. I still do this. And think about it. If God says this is murder, there's an irreparable harm you're doing. Murder's not light. It's not like, well, you know, everybody messes up a few insults. Uh, words will, well, just and stones will break my, home, my bones, but words will never harm me. And if words won't harm me, then thoughts really won't harm me. Except God says it's murder. Well, I just want to say, well, God's wrong. Let's keep on going. But that's not what we're about. We think God is God, and he's able to say what he wants, and he's able to say what the truth is. And the truth is something I don't enjoy, that I don't think is true, that I, I, I struggle with. doesn't make me right. It makes me wrong, because God is always right. And this is Jesus talking. And you don't get over it. You don't agree that you're wrong and make amends and stop internally you murder over and over and over and over no one says a thing to stop you because we're hypocrites you know that's what this does you have something that you're judging inside but you don't tell the person well well, that means your outside isn't matching your inside which is the definition of hypocrisy You know what? Society runs awesomely because we're hypocrites and we manipulate and manage the relationships that we have don't think it doesn't. I mean, I'm one of those guys who tends to wear stuff on their sleeve. And I manipulate for sure. Because I don't want to offend you. People manipulate me all the time. I'm walking up, my hair's all askew, and I look like garbage. Oh, Pastor, you look nice today. Then I go to the mirror. <laughs> yeah, right. I don't look good today. I look like terribleness. I haven't had a haircut in six weeks. 
that kind of stuff, right? We, we just, that's who we are. That's what we do. And, 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 and you say, well, okay, Dax, you, you're kind of spending all this time on murder. What about adultery? I'm going to talk about adultery for a minute. I've never committed adultery. I don't understand how anyone could. By the way, that's not true. But it's even less true of all of us. Why? Because Jesus isn't silent. Look at what he says. This is a few verses later. Verse uh, 27 on the Sermon on the Mount. You have heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery. <laughs> yeah, I did hear that. It's written by God in fingers in the stone of the tablets of the Ten Commandments. That's very important. You shall not commit But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Oh man, you got to get this. Lustful intent sounds like some like stalking or something. That's not the word. The word just means desire. It just means you just look at someone with desire. That, that's what it's saying, right? Oh no. You look at someone with longing and you desire them. You're already in a committed relationship. You are an adulterer. Lust is adultery. So, so, so here's the thing, right? In God's economy, there's no difference. There's, th- th- there's an equality between desire and action, between thought and deed. In our eyes and in the eyes of the state, horizontally with each other, there's a huge difference because the other person doesn't know. And so there's not this offense because if they don't know that I'm doing it, then it's okay. The thought and the deed make a huge difference, but not to God. He knows your thoughts, right? And that, that's what Jesus is going after. And by the way, this is not permission. Right? It's good to curb bad behavior. I'm not saying, in the Bible, and Jesus isn't saying, it's too late for you, murder and adulterize away. That's not the thought. The law is good. It's saying something that is true. You should never murder. You should never commit adultery. But you know what? It is too late for you. You've done it. You're contempt. Make no mistake. God's law does what? It always accuses me. It never pats me on the back. That's by design. And, and, and honestly, you are done. Stick a fork in it. You lust in your heart. Nothing we do is an effective hedge against it. Why do I say that? I got to say that because really what I was taught a lot growing up and going to seminary and do all these things, like you just, you just help people put up those hedges. You know, you, you, you drive down the street and, and there's somebody that you just don't look. If you don't look, then you won't lust. So you try to keep your eyes away from what your things are going. And I think that's why Jesus, Jesus keeps going in this text. He says, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. Right? It's better for you to lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. Yeah, that means when you lust internally, and, and, and it's because you, you should pluck the eye out. Whoever does that? I'm looking all around for blind people in the room. 
Why? We don't do the command of God. If you really think that looking was the thing that made you fall, you should be eyeless. That would be better for you. Right? If I really thought that my hand was the thing that made me pluck and grab some, I should cut it off. Who does that? Nobody. Not by choice. In some Islamic countries, they cut off your hand for stealing. No, but that's not what we're, because why? Because the reality is, is I talked to a friend, <laughs> you could live on a desert island and struggle with lust. There's nothing there except what? Your heart. This is about your heart. Your heart is wicked. That's the problem. It's actually not about the eye. The eye has really nothing to do with your lust because your eye is a collection of cells that transmits light that goes to your back and flips it around upside down and takes you to your brain that flips it back around the right side up. And then in your brain, which is your, your, your processing, you start thinking that's the corner of where you are and who you are. And that's where you lust. That's called the heart. The you inside, you lust. Yuck. Insulting in your heart is murder. Lust is adultery. And, and so this is the thing. Who can read this and think they are not guilty? If you do, you're deluded. That's a whole nother problem. Come talk to me afterwards. You know, that, that, that's, that's it, right? And, and so anyone who says here's 10 ways to get out of adultery, they're in left field. The issue is an avoidance. The issue is you already are. What are you going to do? Okay, if you can get there with me, if we say, okay, Dax, you've made enough of a case and Jesus Christ teaches us this way. This is what it is. This changes you. This changes you. This, this is the message of the Bible. You're guilty, Right? Not you were guilty and you're not anymore. Now you're doing good and you're keeping the law. But Jesus' words still echo to you. So there are good things to do. Avoid killing and be faithful to my spouse. But in the teaching of Jesus, they are impossible. Because your heart is too far gone. Do you know what that does? It humbles me. I'm not who I should be. You hold out the law and it is beautiful and right and true and I affirm it and it's good and it's right and what Jesus says is good. I should never have frustration in my heart. I should never ever not be just so faithful to the one I've made commitment to in every single way. It is true and beautiful and it is not me. It humbles me. It takes me down, right? That, that's what's going on. And, and so... Maybe putting me in that boat with everyone. All of a sudden, it's not a big group of people that are okay. And a few people over here that are bad. Now it's we're all in the same boat bad. There's nobody better anywhere. And that is so important. This moral snobbery of, you know, if you're doing bad, then I'm better than you. The height of blindness is to point out other people's flaws. This is Jesus talking again while not seeing your own. And when you accept this, your wrongness, you can become empathetic. You, you can extend grace and graciousness because you realize the depth of your own need and the grace you've gotten this. The, the one pastor calls this having non-blinking friends. Someone actually comes to you and says, oh, let me show you the horribleness of my sin. And you're not like, ooh. You're like, yeah, what else you got? 
I can share with you mine too. I'm not mean to wear it on my sleeve, but I'll tell you what, I'm a sinner like you. We got one hope. What's the hope again? Jesus and what he did for us. That's why we're here. This, this is it. The personal humility of knowing what's wrong and being the one who's done it. And this is where I need to be a Nathan. You, you remember, right? This is the whole story. They remember that David, King David, we know him as the man after God's own heart. He was like, oh, he was this, the, the, the youngest son who came and slew Goliath and God made him king. God didn't just make him king. He promised him, I will have a person on your line on the throne of Israel forever. And he's talking about who? Jesus And then, dear cool David, who's like now God's guy, sees this pretty woman on the other door, the top of the other rooftop, and says, I want her. And he goes and he commits adultery, and then he goes and he kills her husband. That's both commandments murder and adultery. And Nathan comes in, the prophet of God comes to him and says, oh, can you believe how terrible it is when people murder or when people commit adultery? And he's like, oh, yeah, it's like they have one little sheep and they take it, how terrible. Oh, yeah. You are the man. It's you. And we feel with David all of a sudden, oh, it is me. I'm the murderer. Not my cousin Jack. Not my spouse, not my kid, me. And you're humbled. And the reason I want to tell you that story is because David remained in the line of Christ. Because the real story is not David's faithlessness, that's a lesson for us. The real story is God remained what? Faithful. God didn't flinch, God didn't go. God says that's bad, because it is bad. God says there's consequences, because of course there's consequences. But the faithfulness of God. You know, this is all over the Bible. I, 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 I can't, I, I don't know how far, how much time I even have, it, but a couple minutes to say. The book of Hosea. There's a recent movie out on it, and you can see it. I haven't seen the movie. I'm not recommending it. I don't know, but I know the Bible story. And the Bible story I almost can't talk about in church. I am, so too bad. But it's close. Why? Because God, come, let me put up one little piece of it. Here's one little piece, the beginning of Hosea. Just you. When the Lord, that's Yahweh, that's God's name, first spoke through Hosea, he said to him, go, take yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom, for the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he goes out and marries. Her name is Gomer. Right? He went and took Gomer, the daughter of D. Blame, and she conceived and bore him a son. So that's what take means. He marries her, and they have kids. And then the whole story of Hosea, right, is about how she goes back over and over, over and over to whoredom. And in chapter 3, you can read it for yourself. We're not going to read it now, but I'll tell you the story is, is, is that, that God comes to him and says to Hosea, says, you go buy her back. Well, she's off with this other guy over there. You go get her, and you buy her back from him, and you take her back to be your wife again. And you go get her, and you bring her back. And you go get her, and you bring her back. And, and the whole point of that story is not that it's an example for you to follow. The, the, the point of the story is you are Gomer. My people are Gomer, says God. 
And that's horrible. And you say, I would never, I don't. No, it's already a truth. The, 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 the thing that Hosea is saying is, I am faithful to people who whore themselves out. That is our God. Don't you dare think it's because you're not this, that God is faithful to you because you are faithful to him. Don't think it's because God is like going, oh man, my, my guy Dax, he's like the dude. And, and I just got him because he's so amazingly faithful. No, God is the one pursuing me as I get frustrated and kill people, as I lust and don't do right. I'm the man. So are you. Right? So we're the unfaithful and we're humbled and we're drowning and we're drowning and we need rescue. And praise be to God, there's rescue and he does it and he comes and his name is Jesus and this is the good news. God is in the story. Who is he? He is faithful. Look at, this is the New Testament. If we are faithless, and we are, then he remains, what? Faithful. He adores, he doesn't shy away from the sinner. He doesn't look at the person and say, oh no, I can't touch that leper. He grabs hold. You remember, right? You remember the prodigal son. You remember that it's about the kid who says to his dad, I'm so angry at you. I don't want to be with you. I don't want to be in your family. Give me my money and get me away from here. And the dad, the stupid dad to us. Okay, fine. You can call me dad. Here's your money. Go. And he squanders it. And he so doesn't want to come back to his dad that he's willing to eat garbage. He'll do anything not to come back to his dad. And finally, when he's starving, he says, I'll, I'll, I'll try, man, okay, my dad treats his slaves pretty well. I'll go try and work off this debt. And so he comes back, not to be a kid, not to ask forgiveness, like somehow he's like, he, and, but, but he has a spiel lined up. And, and as he does, here's the dad who's waiting for him, and he runs to him, and he grabs him, and he runs around this stinky kid, and he puts clothes on him and shoes on him and rings him. My son is here. You know the Father is God. You know the stinky kid is you. You know this is amazing. You know the very worst thing is you might think I'm not the stinky kid. The very worst thing is you might look at somebody else and say, you know, I, why is he that guy doing so well? He's such a sinner. Okay, elder brother. Because there's that other person in the parable, right? We don't know what's going to happen to him. But the problem he has is that he thinks he deserves honor from God. And the whole piece of it is that he's a sinner too. He is. Okay. Christianity is not a league of improving. Improving people coming to church to learn 10 tips to be better. It's just not that. And if that's what you've taken in as Christianity, please today here, even if it's for the very first time, it is not that. Christianity is about forgiveness. It is about mercy received. It is about good news. But it's good news for those who, who see that they need it, who grab onto it, because why? Because it's the only hope they have. And the way that you see it's the only hope you have is that you go through these amazing commands of God that get to your heart and say to you, no, not this. 
and to know that you're forgiven. I am here today only because of what someone else has done for me. I, I, I start out admitting that I'm weak and you are too. Will you admit it with me? We gather to be reminded that we are without hope in this world. Maybe today, before, as I end, maybe today you say, okay, Dax, I hear you. This all sounds good theologically, but you know what? It's done. I have been harmed by someone. I have harmed someone else. I, I, you know, you said, Dax, that's fine that you're so glad you haven't committed adultery, but, but according to this world, we're all adulterers, but you know what? I have. And yes, there is real harm, and yes, there is real shame, and yes, there are real reasons why these things happen, and yes, 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 and sin still stinks, and you're stained. So the, the, the change that we're preaching and the Bible teaches you today is not, is not a denial of the hurt, right? The change is that we are with you. This is very important. This is, this is really important because there is hope. And it's not a hope in our faithfulness. It's a hope in the faithfulness of God, isn't it? It really is for us. Forgiveness isn't stop and don't do that anymore. We've twisted repentance to mean that, to mean, we'll, re we'll, we'll, well, okay, we'll maybe forgive you if you work really hard at never doing it again. That is not the word of God. The word of God is a word of mercy to people. It is a turning to the mercy of the father who takes the son back and he doesn't deserve it, who brings beauty from ashes. He's not just, not just for hidden sin, for all sin. And by knowing that people are with you, by knowing that, that you're with me, right? That we're sinners saved by grace alone. We can lean in and not out. We can trust Christ's righteousness and not our own. You can have relationship because we are all forgiven. That's who we are. <laughs> There's this kind of famous story from a guy named Ron Rosenblatt. I don't know. He was a podcaster and a pastor and, and all these things. And he has this story that he tells about somebody. It's about a woman that comes to him. I don't know if it's him or a friend of his. And, and, and says, um, can I talk to you? And the woman is very insistent. So he sits down with her. Pastor idea. Says, you know, pastor, you know that I had an abortion. That's murder. I need to talk about this. She said, I know I do to the man I've started dating. And I just, I just, I know I need to, but I just couldn't do it. And then, and then we got engaged. And I know, I know I need to talk to him and I, I knew I need to, but I just couldn't do it. And then we got married. And I know I'm supposed to talk to him about it. I need to confess that I've done this, but I just can't do it. I haven't been able to. So, so I needed to talk to someone and the pastor's like, well, you know, we have a service for this, a confession, absolution, and he walks through and, and, and extending the forgiveness of God. And, and so then she says, well, oh, thank you. So amazing to hear that I'm forgiven. And now I think I have the courage to go tell my husband about my abortion. And the pastor says, what abortion? Because that's the thought, right? We don't believe it. 
that God would take your sin and choose not to remember it. We don't do that. We're elephants. Elephants have great memories. But God says, I take your sin and I remove it. And I choose. It's not that he forgets it like it never happened. We never like it never happened. You're just like, oh, this harm never happened. No, no, no. Is God chooses to forgive it forever and clean it in the blood of Jesus Christ. He takes your evil and he washes you in the blood of Christ forever. And so that's the work we do as a body as we try and believe it. We say, this is the word of God. He says it's true. I don't, I remember every evil you've done and it's so hard for me, but, but, but you help me again to say, come back to the gospel, Dax. You're as bad as anybody. You sinner, you are the man and I need the blood of Christ like everybody else, like you do. And so we have a body that does that. We lean in because there's nothing you can do that can prevent God from, from, from keep. There's nothing you to do to make God let go of you. <laughs> He's got you in Christ. You're his forever. Help people know it, will you? This is the work of God. This is the Ten Commandments that expose for you and me our sin. And our answer is the gospel. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for um, the depth of your word. Thank you for the message it contains. Lord, mostly I praise you for Jesus. Thank you for the clarity he brings, how he gets into our hearts, how there's a depth to our life because of what he has done for us. Lord, I pray that we would never sin Lord, we pray. We don't want to. We hate that we sin. We hate that we go wrong. At the same very moment, Lord, how we pray and worship you for forgiveness full and free, for grace that is real, for, for clothes that are washed, for you not letting go of us. Help us to be a people that know it and share it and live it, Lord. Thank you so much for what you've done for us. In the name of Jesus.